I want to read some verses of Scripture from 2 Timothy in the fourth chapter. And so I'll uh, select some of those verses beginning at verse 9. So please just um, open your Bible and you can just lay it open on your lap. And we'll refer to these uh, verses in just a moment. An article appeared in a, the classified section of a large Kansas City newspaper. It just contained 15 words. I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. And that number stayed busy 10 hours a day. Some people called long distance because there were just these lonely people that needed somebody to talk to. The world is full of lonely people. No wonder the Beatles made a million dollars on their record, Eleanor Rigby. Ah, look at all those lonely people. Where do they all come from? Where do they all belong? The last two decades, America has exploded. And the chief ingredient of that fallout is loneliness. Little children know it. They see their parents turn away too preoccupied with making a living for them. Preteens know it in middle school looking for a friend who cares enough to accept them just as they are. Teenagers know it having to pretend that they are adults when they feel like kids not really sure which they are. Forty million Americans who move every year know it. We move 14 times in an average lifetime, settle down, put down our roots just about the time we're getting settled. It's up, move again to who knows where. For life is an endless cycle of hellos and goodbyes. We all know it, for loneliness is the modern American epidemic. I suppose that we've all felt like the ancient mariner, alone, alone, all, all alone, alone on a wide, wide sea. Loneliness strikes the godly. I heard about a pastor and his wife whose daughter was brutally murdered. Somebody asked him one day, how did you get over the rage of that? He said, oh, Christ took the rage. Sometimes it comes back, that anger at the man who killed my daughter. Sometimes it comes back. But Christ, for the most part, has taken the rage. The problem we're having is living with this awful loneliness. A missionary wrote his pastor friend and said, There's not anybody within miles of us of the same language, the same age, the same color of skin. So when we pray, we ask God to comfort our loneliness. The Bible chronicles the lonely people. In the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it describes that great experience of faith and those who had faith. And in the 34th through the 39th verses of that marvelous chapter, he describes lonely people who have been separated from loved ones, who have endured the dark night of loneliness. Toja was right when he said, Every man of God has endured loneliness. The Apostle Paul did. In the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, he describes what he suffered for Christ. 
In the 24th verse of that 11th chapter, he said, Five times I received the 39 stripes of the Jews. And who was there to care for his wounds? Who was there to bathe his brutalized back? Who was there to rub an oil in the scabs that coagulated against his old robe? For the most part, no one. There's an interesting reference in the book of Acts. It says that when the church at Antioch began, the first Gentile church, the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas over there to get the the people started to encourage them. And he thought, well, I'll get Saul to come with me and help me in the beginning of this church. Saul had disappeared after his conversion. In fact, he went back to his hometown of Tarsus. And the reference says that Barnabas departed for Tarsus to look for Saul. The word in the Greek means to search for one as a missing person. Now that seemed pretty strange to me. Here was a man who was one of two of the most famous Jews who has ever lived, Saul and Gamaliel, and he's going back to his hometown and nobody knows him anymore. And the implication is strong that when Paul converts to Christianity, his family disinherited him, his community ostracized him, and nobody knows him. So if you turned up on a street in Tarsus and asked the man on the street, can you tell me where I can find Saul? He probably would turn in a hurry and say with a shrug, never heard of the man. And he lived his life for the most part in loneliness you can't deal with loneliness by just getting busy that doesn't help loneliness is not helped by being in the crowd Henry Thoreau used to define city life as a million people getting lonely together Chopin once said I am alone 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 while I'm surrounded with friends and admirers that doesn't help. I want you to come with me this morning down a descending stairway and we'll come to the end of the stairs and there we'll find a dark, dismal, low-vaulted room chamber called a Roman cell where a man is chained waiting to be offered up. On that day in November, you'll feel the constriction of the little room and you'll smell the stench of that neglected cell and you'll feel the dampness and the dinginess of that Roman prison. And there in the corner of a room, by candlelight, an old man is writing the most eloquent words on loneliness you'll find anywhere. And I want us just to kind of peek over his shoulder and listen and, and watch and look as he writes. Where does loneliness, when does loneliness strike? Well, loneliness strikes in the first place when we're absent from intimate, cherished friends. Would you look with me at verse 9? Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Verse 12, but Tychicus has, I have sent to Ephesus. Verse 19, 
Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. And on and on the list of name go, names go of a man who is absent from his friends, cherished friends. They are gone now. Maybe a family member. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe some choice, cherished loved one separated from them. And the tree of loneliness is fed by the streams of isolation. And he's, he's saying, now it's wintertime is coming and, and it won't be possible for you to travel in the wintertime and I may never see you again if you don't come quickly for things are not too promising for me. Now if you look at these names, you'll not recognize many of them. There, you know Titus, you recognize Luke, but you probably won't recognize many of these names. They're not really special folks except to Paul. They're special to him and he's separated from them. William Wadsworth picked up on that thought when he said she dwelt among the untrodden ways beside the springs of Dove, a maid whom there were none to praise and very few to love, a violet by a, rossy, by a mossy rock half hidden to the eye, fair as a star when only one is shining in the sky. She lived unknown and few could know when Lucy ceased to be. But she's in her grave, and oh, the difference to me. Now there's some folks that are very special to you. Not special to the world, perhaps, but special to you, and you're separated from them, and that's a lonely thing. When does loneliness strike? When the memory brings never written by a man, 1 Corinthians 13. So he ran the gamut, did his emotions. Uh, from, from anger to love, he was an emotional man. And I can see him lie, kind of leaning back in his cell with his hands behind his head, his fingers locked. And in his eyes is that look of far away longing. And on his mouth, on his lips, plays a little smile as he remembers when. Those scenes of yesterday, those smells and sounds and sights come crowding to the door of his loneliness. And he remembers. And that's a lonely thing. Loneliness strikes at certain times of the year. And so he says in verse 9, Wintertime is soon is coming. Hurry, come, see me soon. I think I can hear the apostles saying, I don't think I can go through another winter alone. We all know those certain times of the year that come, don't we? That remind us of those things in the past. George Adams Scott refers to November, and it's November when this was written, refers to November as this, in this way, November's sky is chill and drear. November's leaf is red and searing. 
And so the memory of that was coming into the mind of the apostle was like a searing coal red hot burning into his gut. Psychologists tell us of those cyclical events in life. Something bad happens to us at a certain time of the year and when that time rolls around, we slump. It's not that we consciously bring that back to mind. It's the... It's just that our memory won't let us forget it. We're all reminded that Christmas time causes more depression than in any other time. And I read recently that more people jump off the Golden Gate Bridge in November and December than any other time of the year. When I traveled in the Northwest, it was common knowledge out there that if a preacher made it through the winter, he could usually stay at least two or three winters. You know, they come up from the south in the summertime and they're so enthused, enthusiastic as they take those churches. And then the winters come. And I've been through some out there. Starts about December and lasts until March. And you never see the sunshine, just dreary, dismal, rainy days. And, and, and it's been chronicled by the Northwest Baptist Convention that more preachers resign and head back home in February than at any other time in the year. They just can't make it through the winter. When does loneliness strike? When we're shelved and forgotten. When the husband says, I don't love you anymore, I don't think I ever did. When the wife says, I'm going back, I'm going home, I can't live any longer here. When the boss says, you are terminated, this is the end. When the child sees his parents turn away, no time for him. When the teenager in a fit of rage slams the door and says, I can't stand these restrictions any longer, I'm splitting. When the ministry is over. That's when loneliness, oh, awful loneliness comes. Crommie, the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, tells about visiting this little lady in the nursing home. She called it her own private cell. He said she was able to smile behind the rods, the, the bars that kept her in the bed, and even as she tried to walk with a rocker, chrome-plated bars... And she said with a twinkle in her eye, I hurt somewhere all over, but it's better than death. And then he said she got real somber and, and solemn and said, the thing I hate worst of all is nobody hugs me anymore. And so Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He's human, you know. Surely he's sure it's true that he's found contentment in all things, but he still is emotional and he still has feelings and, he, and he's writing from this prison cell in loneliness because nobody needs him anymore. Now what does loneliness do for us? You know, loneliness is not always negative. You know, there's some positive things that come from loneliness. Although God does not want us to have to endure loneliness, He said the first negative in the Bible is that God saw that it was not good for man to be lonely. But there are some positive things that come from, from loneliness. One is 
that we begin to appreciate other people more. I want you to look with me at verse 11. It says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot unless you know the background. Unless you know that that when Paul and Barnabas started out on their first missionary journey from Antioch, they were all in, in excited and enthusiastic, and they had this young man, a, a, a relative of Barnabas with them by the name of Mark, and they set sail for Cyprus, Happy Island is the, what that word means. And Mark was with them, but for some reason Mark, when the going got tough and the loneliness came to Mark, he went back home, he left, he defected, and Paul couldn't accept that. He couldn't get reconciled to that. He was angered by that. Now if you know the rest of the story, when they started out on their second missionary journey, years later, Barnabas said, well, we'll just take Mark with us again. And Paul said, not on your life. We're not going to take a coward with us. We're not going to have a man who will turn back when the going gets tough. And it caused a rift in the relationship of Paul and Barnabas. They never went together again. I mean, this man is intolerable because this young man turned back. That was when Paul was feeling good about himself. And he was a winner. You know, things were going great. But now he's in this Roman cell and he's all alone and all of a sudden, are you, are you listening? Mark looks a whole lot different to him now. That's what loneliness does. I was talking to a college student a few, a few months back or a year or so ago. This guy was telling me, he said, you know, I had the normal problems in high school and with my parents. We had some problems. I didn't really... You know, we get along that well with them. We, were, we didn't have any real problems, but, you know, little skirmishes. And he said, I just couldn't wait until I got out of the way, get out of there with, from my parents. Couldn't wait to get away from home. And he said, one day I was sitting here in my dormitory room, and I was so lonesome and homesick. He said, I got to thinking about mother and daddy. And he said, you know, all of a sudden, they looked a whole lot different to me. Loneliness does that. An intolerable man has never suffered loneliness. An unforgiving man has never known what it means to be lonely. A person who is indifferent to the needs of others is a person who has never known what it means to be lonely. Because loneliness gives us a, mellows us just a little, doesn't it? I'll tell you a second thing it does for us. Not only does it help us to see things, see people differently, but it, it helps us to be able to turn our concerns totally over to God. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, just to rest upon His promise, just to know thus saith the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul learned something in that lonely cell. He learned that there are a lot of things he couldn't do anything about. If he's going to get any help, God's going to have to do it. Let me show you a couple. Verse 14, he says, 
Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Here's this guy that did him dirty. The Apostle Paul said, I'd like to get back at him, but how am I going to do that? You know, what, how am I going to help that? I've just decided I'm going to let God take care of him. I want you to look at verse 18. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and He will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. I've gotten, I understand He seems to be saying that there are a whole lot of things that I'm helpless about. I'm just going to have, I've just learned to leave these things to God. Now I wouldn't be here today this morning, this morning to remind you of what you already know to be true, that you have experienced loneliness. Some of you are experiencing it now. Some of you will, without giving you some hope. What do you do about loneliness? I want to suggest five things. Three are very practical, the others maybe not so practical. I hope this will help. Number one, invest your time, some time, in the development of intimate relationships. I mean get outside of yourself and begin to invest some time and some energy in intimate relationships. Now that's what he's talking about when he says bring Mark with you. Now here was a guy who had a broken relationship with a man, a young man, and the result of that, just like throwing a, a rock out in the water, just rippled off and, and touched Barnabas and others. You know what he's saying? I'm willing to spend some time and energy developing a relationship, rebuilding some bridges back. I, I'm willing to get outside of my own opinions, my own biases, and I, I want to work on developing a friendship with Mark. That's exactly what he's saying. You're fortunate if you have a friend, a real, honest, to good friend. We need friends, don't we? I mean, both the hugger and the huggy. We, we need friends. Alexander McGinnis has a marvelous little book entitled The Friendship Factor. And in this book, he talks about Howard Hughes. He calls him the great American enigma, the great mystery. And he tells about this man who had unlimited money, resources, so much money that he held in his hand the destiny of people and even nations. The last 15 years of his life were reclusive. His hair grew down to his waist, his beard down to his, past his stomach. His fingernails were un, uncut. His toenails looked like corkscrews. In the last 15 years of his life, they didn't even know whether he was alive or dead. He was married to the most beautiful woman in the world, Jean, June Peters, but they were never seen together. They were never photographed. She lived in a separate penthouse. He lived in another one and said, McGinnis, I haven't found one person in the retinue of people he touched that liked Howard Hughes. Then he asked this question, why was this man so lonely. Why, he said, with unlimited money, hundreds of aides, countless beautiful women at his disposal, was he so isolated and alone? 
He answers his own question. He said, because he chose to be. He said, there is an axiom that says God has given us things to use and people to enjoy. And Howard Hughes never enjoyed people because he was busy using them, manipulating them. And his interests were in money, machines, gadgets, and airplanes. Interests that were so time-consuming, said McGinnis, that he had no time for relationships. And then he made this marvelous observation. He said, I've observed that the people most deeply loved are the people who are convinced that people, is the, that people are the basic sources of happiness. Their companions mean something to them and they have a lifestyle that dispenses time fragments out to build relationships. On the other hand, he said, the lonely people I know are people who are always complaining that they have no friends and yet are not willing to expend any energy or time to make one observed Oliver Wendell Holmes, we lay up money, we take care of our health, we make our rooms tight and our clothes sufficient, but where is the man who adequately provides for the greatest product of all? Friends. Can I ask you a question? Who loves you, baby? That's what Kojak used to always ask. My, I love that, that series. I'm not, I, I watch sports till it runs out my ear, but I don't like that much television, but I love Kojak. Man, I cut my wrist when they took that off air. <laughs> and, and he was this bald-headed cop in New York City, had that sucker in his mouth, and you know what he was always saying? You remember that? He's always saying, who loves you, baby? And, and behind that question that this cop with his jewelry and his power asked flippant question mask a real question who loves you baby time magazine says quote love or die and says that the most frequently bereaved and divorced people are the most vulnerable to disease and made this observation even though we don't know the causes of cancer we know that there is a correlation between loneliness and sorrow and instances of cancer. That's another reason why you should stay married. There's not, other, there's not any others. We need, we need each other, don't we? You need to spend... Oh, you say, well, I don't have any friends. Nobody loves me. But let me ask you this. How much time and energy are you putting on the development of friends and friendships? Secondly take care, what can I do about loneliness? Take care of your health, your bodily needs. So Paul said, bring my cloak. Insignificant statement, but I want you to watch something. You know what, happen, you know what we're prone to do when we get lonely? Neglect ourselves. Neglect our health. Neglect our appearance. Neglect our diet. And almost overnight, lonely people can become unattractive, even repulsive. I was walking through the waiting room of a large hospital in Wichita Falls, Texas. Somebody called my name. I turned around to see a woman I did not recognize. When she saw that I did not recognize her, she said, You don't know me, do you? You don't recognize me. I'm Margaret Bowden. I knew her as well as anybody. I just didn't recognize her the way she looked. 
She said, after our hus my husband died and my daughter married, I don't care about anything anymore. She said, I don't care about sleeping. I don't care about eating. I don't care about housework. I just don't care. McLaren said, that cloak that Paul asked for had the brime of the Mediterranean, the snows of Galatia on it, the yellow dust of the Ignatian Way, the crimson stains of his own blood, and yet he needed that robe to, to warm him against the chill of winter. Take care of your bodily needs. Third, strengthen your mind with books. I hope you notice that in verse 13. It says, when you come, bring my cloak, bring my books. Can you, can you believe that? Here is a man who is waiting to die in a dingy, dozen, dingy dungeon with just a candle for reading, and he's wanting to read. He's wanting to expand his mind. I mean, this old man. You see, that was his way of escaping that prison cell to get into his books. My, my mother has an insatiable appetite for reading. My daddy's been dead 13, 14 years now. When I ask my mother, do you get lonely? Her answer is always the same. No, I read a lot. <laughs> Every answer is the same. No, I love to read. William Tyndale was imprisoned in the 15th century and he asked for something about like Paul. He said, Bring me, my, bring me some cloth to patch my leggings. Bring me a warm camp and a candle. And bring my Hebrew Bible and my lexicon. Now if you have ever studied Hebrew, you know the guy has already gone mad. I mean, who would want to get a Hebrew lexicon and a Hebrew Bible and study? I mean, that's work. Here's a man who is in prison wanting his books. It was said of John Wesley to travel 226,000 miles by horseback. And as he rode along, he would prop a, a book on the, at the, at the uh, saddle horn of his, of his saddle, books on medicine and government and history and science. And he read all the time. And, 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 he, and he passed this solitude with reading. What can I do about loneliness? Two other things, and I'll quit. You can get into the scriptures. Now he said, bring my coat, take care of my body needs. Bring my books. I want to learn to, to I'm going to expand my mind. I won't give up on learn. And then he said, bring my parchments. You know what the parchments were? The parchments were the scriptures available to him. Most of all, he said, don't forget my Bible. And I can just see this man in the nights of loneliness, in the days of solitude, with the parchment, not like this, but with the parchment in hand, and he's pouring over that marvelous Isaiah's prophecy, and he's reading Jeremiah that continues to thrill him, and the Psalms. And when old Satan invades his cell and says, something wrong with your God to leave you all alone, he just finds him in the Scripture. And God steps out of the pages and they communicate through His Word. You're never alone when you have His Word. One last thing. Exercise 
your option of praise. Now that's what he did in verse 18. He says, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Now I want us to watch. Look, we're just looking over Paul's shoulder. And and all of a sudden he gets through with his words on loneliness. And he puts his pen down. And then he lifts up his hands and his face. His hands almost touch the top of that low vaulted ceiling. And says... Praise God from whom all blessing flows. For what he did right there in verse 18 was a first century doxology. And I have found that the people who have learned to live on a plane of life that's a little bit higher than our own are the people who have learned the fine art of praise. It means they're the people for whom praise is a duty and a desire. They, they've learned to esteem God for who He is. The word in the, the New English word preserved in German is the word prizen. We prize Him. We esteem Him. We honor Him. Are you listening carefully? I have found that the people who are best able to prize them, best able to praise, are the people who in some way are not as lonely. Not as lonely. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that wherever we are in this great earth, There is nowhere where you are not. In the prisons of our own loneliness and in the despair of our own restriction, teenagers in rooms shut away from family, parents preoccupied, kids, adults in nursing homes, people for whom the ministry doors are closed, all of these available to them is your great grace and help. Now we turn to you, Father, to say, yes, Lord, we do need what you make available, and we appropriate it through Christ Jesus, our Lord, whose name we pray. There are three invitations. One invitation this morning is to come and receive him who is more than Savior but friend. He is your friend. Jesus told his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He wants to come into your life and warm the loneliness and the cold there. The invitation this morning for church membership. You know, there's something special, isn't there, David, about about having a family, a church to belong to while we're away from home or whatever. Or maybe this morning just to come and Rededicate your life to Christ. And there's so many things that stand between you and God, and you're, you're not happy about those, and you'd like to make the decision that will make you bring you back. Whatever God leads you to do, it's time. We got time to let God have His way in this place now. Would you stand? Would you come as we start to sing?